But yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be with you tonight. Thanks for coming to RUF. If this is your first time coming to RUF or coming to a large group, welcome. Um, or if you're still new, we're, we're really glad you're here. And I hope that you can get somewhat of a vibe for what we're trying to do on campus. Um, we're trying to cobble together uh, Christian community uh, on a campus and at a time when that can be really challenging. Um, but we think it's really, really important. Um, so I do encourage you to hang out with us. Um, we've got lots of opportunities uh, to sort of balance between community, but also trying to be COVID-wise and safe in the midst of all that. So come hang out with us uh, at our open church or, um, yeah, we'd love, to, we'd love to get to know you more. And to the rest of you, man, it's, it's great to see you. I, I, I'm always encouraged to see you. Um, so, yeah, so tonight we're going to continue working through the book of Acts. And we are, we're working through a book of the Bible because we think the Bible really matters. Um, as Christians, we think that the Bible is not just a, a historical book which tells us about the dates and lives and times a long time ago, but it's actually more than that. It's actually God's word, uh, that it actually contains timeless truths about um, things that are truly timeless, God, man, what's wrong with the world, and how we fix it. And so um, it's an amazing book, and we're working through uh, one of the, uh, the, the almost chapters in this book, uh, it's a book of Acts, and uh, we're going to study tonight um, how the means of grace equip us for community and witness, and we're going to see how that applies specifically to social anxiety. So lots to unpack there. We're going to see tonight how God's grace, the means of grace, equip us for community and witness. And we're going to look at a really pressing issue today, uh, which is social anxiety. So... Um, a couple of months ago, as, uh, as I've hung out with y'all, as I hang out with y'all, talk with students in 2020, 2021, um, of course, you know, constantly that we hear about this thing, the challenge of social anxiety. Um, like, I, it's kind of come, become like a joke now, like a meme almost, or TikToks will just talk about like, oh, I'm so awkward. Oh, I'm so, so I'm just so anxious to be around people, or I'm bad at talking, and of course, there's, there's you know, tons of news articles that talk about how college students are basically stuck in their dorms or stuck in their apartments or stuck at home. Uh, and it's, you, you understand that. Uh, you're on Zoom all day and um, left on your own a lot of the time socially. And the result of that has been a lot of social anxiety. And I know that you all feel it because you told me you feel it. Another thing that makes it augmented is the rise of technology. Um, I read a statistic the other day that all of us on average use our phones about 84% more than we did last year. That we're all on our phones uh, a lot more. And so um, we have this, this combining forces of a pandemic and quarantine of technology. And then I'll add on to this more like the normal identity and depression and anxiety. And the result is a campus and 18 to 24 year olds, the demographic that many of you all are in, are feeling crushing social anxiety. An article just came out by one of the top academics uh, uh, studying Generation Z, which is the generation that you're in, and she's talking about the colossal percentages of mental health and social anxiety. And I know that many of you experience this, the, 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 the fear of I'm bad at talking to people or the anxiety that comes from speaking up on a chat or a Zoom uh, or, a, you know, any sort of social interaction. And tonight we're going to look at how the Christian gospel 
specifically these things that we're going to call the means of grace, and I'll explain those in a second, how those equip us for community and for witness. And we're going to look at how that applies specifically to social anxiety. And so um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 2, or uh, we can also, you can look along with me. And as I'm talking up here, if you've got questions and you're confused by what I'm saying, shoot me a text, and uh, we will dialogue with those questions afterward. Um, So I'm going to read this smaller piece of scripture and we'll dive in. This is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you once again that we can gather tonight and look at your word. Pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us, would work in and through it to equip us and empower us to love those around us and worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at this, and we're going to look at this in three ways. Um, Per usual, we're going to look at these things called the means of grace. Then we're going to look at how we empower community and witness, and then we're going to apply it to social anxiety. So the means of grace... Uh, the, how they empower and equip community and witness and, and then apply it to social anxiety. And so just to recap, if you haven't been with us, up until this point in the book of Acts, the, uh, the church has, has just experienced a, a huge explosion of, perp- of, of population. There's Christians. We just read the last verse that we read last week is that 3,000 just be, j- people just became Christians. Tons and tons of new Christians are added into uh, this exploding community and so now we get a snapshot into what are these christians doing now that they are finding community and identity together and we see that right at the very beginning in verses 42 and 43 and and this is where we see our first point is that they are and i'll I'll explain this but they are participating in the means of grace verse 42 and they and that reference, they, it's referring to verse 41, which says it's the 3,000 new Christians. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so that's the first thing we're going to look at is these people are availing themselves to the means of grace. What do I mean by that? Well, it means that they are taking full advantage of the various ways, that the, the many ways that God tells his people his love for them. Right? The whole message of the Christian gospel is God loves you more than you can possibly imagine, so much so that he would send his son to die for our sins. And the means of grace are the ways that God shows us his love. And what they are doing as new Christians is they are hurling themselves into these, these, these various ways that, that God shows us his love, his grace, his undeserved favor, his mercy. And, and, and the means of grace here are basically, they're like the spiritual food that Christians need for a healthy life. 
Think of them as spiritual food. There's a super popular YouTube video that I watch over and over again because it's so amazing to me. I was just talking with someone about it today. And it's a YouTube video by this guy named Brian Shaw, who is a strong man. Like, and that's a technical term for some dude who's like monstrously strong. And he has multiple times won the world's strongest man. So literally, he was the strongest human being on the planet that year. And so he can deadlift a th over 1,000 pounds, and he can bench press almost 600 pounds. Just absurd strength. And in this particular video, he describes his diet, his daily diet. And to, because he's weightlifting so much, he needs an incredible amount of fuel. And so he eats anywhere between 12 and 15,000 calories a day. He's the size of a refrigerator, and he's eating so much food, pounds of ground beef a day and pounds of pasta. And he says, lifting is the fun part. It's the eating that's the hard part because it's constant. He says in this video, he says, if I'm going to compete, I, if I'm going to be strong, I have to give my body the fuel and the nutrients I need. And I think he's onto something there. What's true for him in his athletic performance is true for the Christian in their spiritual life. In that we, if we are going to be alive and healthy and strong spiritually, we have to be eating sufficient nutrients spiritually for our faith. Those are the, and, and those, the, the nutrients, the food, are these means of grace. And that's what the, we see these new Christians doing. They're, they're, they're engorging themselves, they're devoting themselves, the text says, to the means of grace. And so what are they? Well, it tells us here that says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers and to worship. And so I want to look at each of those briefly, because in each one of these we see this is what you as a Christian need in your life constantly. And so let's look at this, the apostles' teaching. What does this mean? Well, the apostles, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The apostles were the official witnesses of Jesus Christ. They were the ones who Jesus said, hey, you are going to be my witnesses. You are the ones who get to tell everybody, this is what Jesus did, and we are the ones who get to interpret what Jesus did. So they interpret and they, they testify to who Jesus, what Jesus did and why it mattered. They attested, this is what Jesus, who he was. Jesus Christ was God who came to earth, who died for our sin and came back to life. And this is what it means for your life. So these Christians are devoting themselves to their teaching. Now, what, do we, what does that mean for us? How do we devote ourselves to their teaching? Well, what is their teaching for us? Well, it's written down. They wrote down their teaching in the Bible, right? So the Bible is the apostles' teaching. The Bible is the authoritative witness and interpretation of Jesus Christ. So we're called to devote ourselves to the Bible, as Christians, your regular Christian life should consist of time in Scripture. And notice here that they devoted themselves together. It's, it's, it's not just individual Christians. It's a community of people devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so um, you need your other Christians around you in front of the Word. This is why we do RUF Quattros. 
is to try and create a space for you to be with another person around the Bible, talking about it, chewing on it, letting it sink in and nourish to your, to your person, to your soul. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And the Greek word here means basically common life together. Common life together. What does it mean? It means that they hung out together a lot. They were together not just once or twice a week, but they were spending their time together, sometimes talking about faith, but also sometimes just being in each other's lives. They did business together. They saw each other frequently. They were not walled off socially. They didn't see each other once a week. What does this mean for us? It means that TikTok and Instagram are not fellowship, (laughs) frankly. Social media, it gives us this feeling of intimacy and community because there's another human being whose face is right here. And they're speaking to us quite personably, and it feels like community. But it's not. It's been proven over and over again by psychologists and counselors and social scientists that social media is actually quite draining of our social needs. And so that's why we come back, we come away feeling quite empty. And yet we think, I need, I need people in my life. And so we go back to social media. Maybe if I get this number of likes, maybe if I post this picture, maybe if I post this, this thought. But the reality is, is that God creates us as human beings to have other human beings in our lives. So here's, here's what this means. If you're fighting depression, if you're fighting anxiety, I'm going to be so bold here to say that probably one of the top two or three reasons why you're depressed and anxious is that you're lonely. Probably one of the top reasons is is, is that you're lonely. The number one reason you're fighting sin right now, if there's an area of sin in your life where you're like, I can't seem to stop sinning in this way, is probably because you're lonely. It's probably because you're just not, you're, there are, there's significant amount of your day is just you and a computer. And one of the major ways that you experience, this is why we call it means of grace, the ways that you experience God's love for you is when other people, especially other Christians, are around you saying, I love you, I'm present with you, I want to fellowship with you. They availed themselves next to the breaking of bread. And this could signify just eating together, that they just ate food together. But I think it's actually more than that, and I think two reasons for that. One, in verse 46, it tells us they broke bread and they received their food, and I think those are two separate events. But second of all, that word breaking bread is used several times in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament in the context of the Lord's Supper, of communion, of the Eucharist. And so I think here that breaking bread is a figure of speech for communion. And and, and communion is one of the most powerful ways that God shows us that he loves us. One of the most powerful means of his love communicated so effectively to us because at communion we are spiritually and yet very truly eating Christ's body and blood. And, and, and we are being, by his, the power of his Holy Spirit, we are being more closely united to Jesus so that what's true of him, his love, his energy, his holiness becomes more true of us. That's amazing that somehow physical food can, in, by the power of the Holy Spirit, feed our spiritual 
souls. And so the application here is get yourself in a church that celebrates the Lord's Supper. Avail yourself, pour yourself into this means of grace. Next, they pray. They devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer is a means of grace. It's a means of God telling us his love for us because in prayer, we are saying and we are receiving, God is listening to me. God is listening to me. He listens when I talk to him. He listens when I rant at him. He listens when I cry to him. He listens when I praise him. He listens when I ask things of him because he loves me. That's what Romans 8 tells us, that the the whole trinity is active, that all of God is active listening to us when we pray. And so we see here the disciples devoting themselves to this prayer, and then they worship together. Verse 46 and 47, they gather publicly in the temple and in their own homes, verse 47, praising God. They're organized, they're coming together in an organized fashion and in a spontaneous fashion to show God their love for him and to receive God's love for them in worship, his grace. And so uh, they are pouring themselves into all of the ways that God has shown his love for them and they are devoting themselves to them. What does this mean for us? It means that more than ever in 2021, You need a community, and more importantly, you need a church. You need a church where you can devote yourself to the means of grace, the ways that God shows you that he loves you. And I know that because you all are here, I'm preaching to the choir in a lot of ways, that many of you are here because you know these things, and yet I tell you all the more, don't stop. Pour yourself, devote yourself to the ways that God loves you. That's how, that's, that's how we nourish ourselves spiritually. And so then look at what the results of these are. So second point, they, the, the first point is they avail themselves to the means of grace. But look at the results. Look what happens. Two things happen. One, they create a radical community, a radically generous community, and they have effective witness. Let's look at the first, a radically generous community. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the need and the proceeds to all as any had need. Look what happens as they study God's love for them, as they marinate their whole community, their lives and their hearts in God's love for them. The whole community, individually and corporately, is transformed into truly a radical community of generosity and love and charity towards other people. The, the, the effects are just crazy generosity, the sort of generosity that sort of blows the circuits on our capitalistic and materialistic world today. You know, and, and, and this is, I remember this verse is when I was growing up, people felt very, they had to very quickly say, oh, that's not communism, it's not socialism. And, and, or, you know, this is, they're just being socialist. And, and then there was this felt need to explain, oh, this isn't socialism. And, and I can just say, kind of off the cuff, that I've studied a lot of communist theory. I've studied a lot of socialist, economic, and political theory. And this is not it. Um, communism is state-mandated equality, and it, this is freely given. Communism operates under the assumption of atheism. This is operating under the assumption of God's radical mercy towards a community of people. 
So this is not communism, but I don't want to blunt the force of what is happening in a community as they sit in the incredible mercy and love and grace of God. This is a community that as they study God's radical grace towards them, they become a radical community of generosity towards each other. Grace elicits, grace sprouts out crazy generosity to where people do things that doesn't make financial and material sense. And that's a diagnostic for us. Do we freely give? Do we even sometimes what seems like foolishly give our resources to those around us? I know I don't. I know that I meticulously guard and manage my resources. And I think the apostles would say, hey, sit in God's grace a little more. Avail yourself to the means of grace. What does that look like for college students? Well, I don't know if it necessarily means give all your money away because you don't have any. No offense. But I do think that there are resources that you all have that you can be radically generous with. You you have time. I know you don't feel like you do, but you have time. You have emotional space. You have physical bodies. You have resources. And a Christian community is one which studies and sits and avails itself to God's great love for them and then responds in radical generosity with the resources it has towards the people in that community and outside of that community. What does it look like? It means hanging out with the new person. It means helping someone in a Zoom class, even when it's awkward or weird. It means inviting someone to open church or large group. It means inviting someone to lunch or on a walk or into your quattro. Those are the selling of your possessions for the radical generosity. And it comes from, look, it's not, it's, it, it's not saying like, hey, do this so that God might love you. It's, oh my gosh, think how much God loves you. Think about how much he has done for you. And as you sit in that, as we as a community sit in that, the response is this radical generosity. But that's not all. Second of all, there's effective witness. Look at the last part in verse 47, the last sentence. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. People are being saved. People are coming into a saving knowledge of Jesus. They're trusting in him. They're joining this community of people who are being transformed by the grace of God. And what, what, happens, what happens when a community is tight and united around its purpose? What happens when a community is so excited about what co, you know, brings it together? They want to tell other people about it. Right? So my wife just joined a CrossFit gym, right? Yeah, jokes about CrossFit. They're sort of true. People who do CrossFit love CrossFit. They want to tell you, hey, I just joined a CrossFit gym and it's awesome. You want to come with me? Why is that? Why do people, why are there jokes and memes about, you know, you know, somebody walks into a bar and tells them, you know, you find out they're doing CrossFit. Well, how do you know? Because they told you in the first two minutes, right? Why? It's because they, they are so passionate about the community and the purpose that they have together of CrossFit. It's not just that. What do you do when you discover a restaurant? When you find the best taco in Las Cruces, what do you do? 
You put it on the gram. You call your friends and say, oh my gosh, I found this taco. It's incredible. You have to go with me. Or what do you do when you find a new song? You, you, you text it to your friends. You're like, hey, this bop slaps, right? You're like, this is an amazing song. You need to check it out. When we find something that we love, we want to tell others about it. I know you can laugh about my... I try to be cool before you all. It's a, it's a, it's a lost cause. Now imagine here when you have a community, when you have this gospel of grace, the best news that the world has ever heard. This best news. The best news of, G, of the gospel of Jesus Christ who has come to earth and died and risen and come back to life and is seating on his, seated, at, seated at his throne and is destroying all oppression, bringing liberation to all of those who are abused and oppressed, who's eradicating sin as far as sin and curse have been found, who's bringing justice and mercy to all of the broken things in your and my life. Like it's the best news that we could ever imagine. And they get this. They're sitting in God's grace and they're like, how can we not tell people about it? That's what the Christians did. They told their friends, they invited their neighbors, their family and friends. So that when you marinate in the means of grace of God's love, you learn deeper and deeper how good the good news is. And you want to tell your friends, do, do I do that? I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that it's taken me four years of being a campus minister here to finally find someone who I'm like, you know what, I need, to, I need to hang out with this person so that I can get to a point so I can ask them to church. And it's only because I've been sitting in, <laughs> I've been a Christian for, oh my goodness, 27, 26 years. And I'm finally getting to the point where I'm like, I have to tell my friend about this. Do you do that? Several times throughout the semester, I talk with people who are like, Jonathan, RUF's cool and all, but the people, they're just not like me. The people in there, they're just not, they're just not my people. And you know what I want to say is, I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. It's probably true. And then I want to say is, well, go, go bring the people that are like you. Find the people that, you, that are like you and bring them and say, hey, I'm a part of this group that's kind of weird and kind of different, but we're trying to cobble together a community of justice and mercy and peace and community in a time and place where that's really, really challenging. I'd love for you to join me. As this community of the early church sits in the means of grace, two things happen. Radical generosity and effective witness. These are the fruit of grace, the gift of God. All right, so third, third point, how does this apply to social anxiety? Well, what, what is social anxiety? Social anxiety is, is basically a deep fear of being judged, rejected, or negatively evaluated in a social situation. Why? Well, partly it's because of bad experiences. We've all had that sort of one thing that we can remember, that, that, that hurt, abuse, emotional trauma, whatever. And so we don't want to put ourselves in that place again. Um, but it, I think it's also, there's more going on here than that. It, that there are, behind social anxiety are questions about identity. At the core of someone who is socially anxious is someone who says, am I valuable? Am I worth anything? Or, or will I be rejected, right? I, I know that's true for me when I'm, when I'm scared in social situations. And what happens is the gospel of grace 
the gospel of grace equips you to not only deal with social anxiety, to, but to grow past it because, because of grace, because of God's grace, is the good news of the gospel is that your father, the creator and God of the universe, is your lover. He's your biggest fan. He cares for you, and the proof is not the proof is in his son dying for you when you didn't deserve his love. There's nothing you could possibly do academically, socially, intellectually, performance, nothing you can do to earn his love. He gives it freely, and all you do is trust in that. That is, that's, the, that's the pivot point of an, of, that becomes an identity foundation that can empower you to say, I can be rejected. I can be negatively evaluated by anything else because the most valuable person in the whole universe adores me. Think of it this way. Christ was rejected so that you can be accepted. Christ was judged so that you can be praised. Christ was killed so that you can live. That's grace. That's God's undeserved gift. And the means of grace, as you sit in those, as those become the core of who you are, then suddenly what your professors think or what your peers think or what your parents think or what your coaches think, all of those things just become not as heavy, not as weighty. When you soak your heart in that, when you pour yourself into a community that soaks you in that, then like the church here, you're changed. You become a person who's confident not based on yourself, but based on Jesus. And if God is your father and he loves you, he cares for you. I mean, frankly, who cares if someone rejects you? Yeah, it stings, but it has nothing to do with your actual value. The only person who can judge you is God, and he says he doesn't judge you. What does it matter what a professor says? What does it matter what the other person says? You can't be hurt. The gospel creates a foundation of identity that nothing can shake. And the means of grace are the things that feed that. And when you're full of that grace, you can go out and give generously of yourself. You can walk up to somebody that you've never met and be like, hey, my name is so-and-so. You, can, can we grab a cup of coffee? I'd love to get to know you more. You free this week? I'd love to hang out. And they say, no, I don't want to. You say, okay, that's cool. I'll see you around. Have a great day. So social anxiety is an emotional, spiritual problem of relearning God's great love to you in a new, deeper way. And as you, you, know, as you find yourself unable to be in social situations, re-examine God's grace towards you. So what can you do? Well, first of all, in social situations, just embrace the awkwardness. Just embrace the awkwardness. Right now, we live in a time where we're all trying to learn how to be conversationalists again. And it's hard. It's awkward. It's weird. It takes four to six weeks of consistent time to make good friendships. And so just embrace it. Just be like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing here, but we're, I'm just going to ask you this question, and maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. And it's okay. Good community is on the other side. Realize that, second, that no one is thinking about you as much as you're thinking about you. And that's such a freeing thing. Everyone's like, oh, what's this person going to think of me? Trust me, they're not going to remember it. And if they do, it's just they're not worth it. No one is thinking about you, what you're wearing, what you look like, as much as you're thinking about those things, which is so freeing to just be like, hey, I am who I am. Jesus loves me. Let's hang out. 
And third, take in, like this early church, take in the means of grace. Throw yourself into a community of people. Most importantly, throw yourself into a church that will, in multiple ways, all these different ways, show you how much God loves you. Get pastors and mentors who will massage the gospel of grace, the good news of God's love, into the tender and cracked and painful parts of your heart. Here's the deal. COVID, technology, emotional abuse, awkwardness, all of these things right now are making community and witness really hard. But here's the amazing thing. Grace is more powerful than all of those things. Amen. God's Holy Spirit is more powerful than all of those things. And he cuts through each of those, all of those, and, and so that those things are nothing compared to the Holy Spirit at work in this community, in RUF, in New Mexico State, to bind us together and empower us to radical community and to generosity and to witness, to empower you to love the person in the square next to you, even if you've never been him before, even if, you're, even if you're just like, I don't know how to talk to them. When God does that, we become a community that is infectious, glorifying, and powerful in a moment that desperately needs it. So soak in the great love of God. And as you do that, as we do that, may God be glorified and may we as a community love those around us. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thanks for this time. We pray that you would uh, show us your great love in the many different ways scripture, fellowship, prayer, worship, communion, all of these things, and that by them we would be knit together into a community that is worshiping and rejoicing in your love and inviting others in. May that be true of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.